Okay, we're in Romans chapter 2, continuing on. Let me go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word of God this morning, or this evening. We're in this evening. And then uh, tonight, before we close, we're going to have a time of uh, communion, partaking the Lord's table. So stay tuned for that. But uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your time, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is all sufficient for life and godliness, Lord. There is nothing lacking that we need, and God, you are so good to us. Lord, your word is a word of truth, and it's a word of life. It's a word that pierces our hearts down deep into our soul. Your word is a word that encourages, encourages us toward, toward you. And invites us. And so we thank you, dear God. And now t- today as we get into Romans chapter 2 and 3 and we discover what Paul wrote here under your inspiration, we ask, Lord, that you might teach us and transform us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, well, a few weeks ago when I left, we had just finished Romans chapter 1. And while I was gone, uh, Neil and um, Duncan both uh, uh, continued on in Romans chapter 2. But I don't want to lose sight of the big picture of what's happening in Romans. So remember, after we read that wonderful verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who are perishing, Uh, In Romans chapter 1, we entered into speaking about God's wrath being revealed against the godless or the immoral, those who choose to worship created things rather than the creator. And uh, my last sermon here in Romans was all about that chapter 1, looking at the most immoral of people, so saying that God's wrath is coming well, last week, last week and the week before, as we entered in Romans chapter 2, we had two, uh, another group of uh, people introduced, and those are those who are moral. Those are who are morally good. And as Paul continued on in his, his argument, that even the morally good people are awaiting God's judgment because they're not morally good enough. And that's where we're picking up today with the third group of people, those who are religious, the Jews. So picking up at verse 17, Paul writes of chapter 2, indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. I'm going to stop there because that's our first period. We have a long sentence here with what Paul is speaking about you. So we're speaking now to the, the most religious group of the three. Again, the immoral, the moral, and then the religious. That's, that, these are the three groups of people. And for the most part, they cover all of mankind when we understand this. Now, before we dive too deep into this, I want you to know something about the Apostle Paul. This man is so full of love for the lost. Now, sometimes we can read God's Word and we take it the wrong way. We take it like God is assaulting us by telling us that we're sinners, well, quite, it's quite the contrary. God is actually inviting the sinner to be saved. God is inviting the dead to be raised up to life. But 
the whole point is you've got to know that you're in need of salvation. And so Paul, as he's laying out this argument for all those who judgment is coming upon, the argument is to say, avoid the punishment, avoid the judgment, and come to life. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. So just know that as Paul writes these words, these truly are words of love trying to convince the, the reprobate, the sinner, the immoral, the religious, all these individuals to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So he says, indeed, you are called a Jew. Who's he talking about? Well, traditionally, the northern kingdom Israel, as we had been going through the book of 2 Kings, we saw that Israel, the northern kingdom, was totally wiped out. That was the ten tribes of Israel. And of course, the two tribes left in Judah, which was the, uh, the, the Benjaminites and, and the, uh, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and of course there were Levites mixed in with that, uh, th- those two tribes were the only ones who lasted and were carried off into Babylon. The rest of the tribes are kind of lost from that point on. So when, when Paul is saying, you are a Jew, he's talking to these few that know that they're a Jew, that like him. Remember, Paul is of the tribe of Benjamin himself. And so he's saying, you're called a Jew. And look at what the Jew rests upon, the law. That's what you boast about. You boast about knowing God, the living God, the God who gave you the law at Sinai. You boast about the tradition. We can relate to this. You and I have traditions. And how how many of you uh, have an ethnic background where you can relate to and say, oh, my family came from here, or we have this tradition in our family, and we can relate to that, and we take some joy and some pride in our background and our history. Uh, my background is, <laughs> goes too far back to really know much about me, so I just call myself American. American. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but we take some joy in knowing our background and our heritage, and, um, and so we can understand where the Jew is. But, of course, their background rests upon Sinai, upon God revealing himself and making a covenant with their people there on that holy hill. And, boy, if you were those people, if you were there, or if you were the descendants of those people, and maybe some of you are, I don't know, but you would boast in that as well. How exciting it is for you to have a heritage that your people were delivered out of bondage in Egypt and stood at the, mount, <laughs> the mountain of, of the Lord at Sinai and, and, and your people received the, the law. Wow, how wonderful that would be that, to have that heritage that goes so far back. And so Paul says, and, and, and you know his will and you approve of the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. Wow, these people are incredible. They have a relationship with God. They actually know what pleases God. And they can even say things that are approved uh, and excellent. Look at verse 19. And are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. How wonderful and peaceful that must be to know that you alone are enlightened and everybody else is in darkness. Well, I think Christians can relate to this a little bit. We, we, we know that, wow, we've met Jesus Christ. We've been enlightened. And yes, we have, absolutely. You and I have, have been reconciled to God. You probably remember that day when you read the gospel and for the first time you understood it or you heard it and it was like a light clicked on and you were like, wow, and, and, and how wonderful it is. And sadly, it's only about a year and a half until 
we're totally unrelatable to the outside world, right? Well, hopefully not you. But here the Jews are saying that, hey, we, we're, we're guides to those who are blind. We're a source of light to a lost world. And Paul is saying, good for you. And then he goes on to say, uh, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. These people understand God's word. They have a head start on all things holy and religious. Well, verse 21 says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute. Now you're pointing at us. Let's stop there. But Paul's not going to stop. You who preach that man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Ouch. Those words sting. And they certainly would for you too, Christians. If, if you're living made people blaspheme God because you go around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but then you go and do evil, you mistreat your neighbor, you steal from others. If you were doing those things, you would bla- that blasphemes the name of God among the Gentiles. Just think for a moment about pastors who are raised up and their, their celebrity status, and then we hear about some scandal unfold, be it with money or women or whatever else weird stuff goes on in this, in this world. When we hear those stories, boy, doesn't it make us ashamed and embarrassed? And, and certainly the Gentiles or those, we should say the unbelievers, they blaspheme God as a result of it. They say, oh, church is just about money. Church is just about getting, getting money from people, and it's a fundraiser every Sunday. And that's the attitude of the unbelieving world. And so Paul here turns it back on them and says, hey, okay, you're enlightened, but are you breaking the law? Are, are you breaking the law too? Paul said that when he read the law, he kept the law. Until he came to thou shalt not covet. And as soon as he came to thou shalt not covenant, he says he was undone by the law because he realized his soul was full of covetousness. It, it was a matter of the heart in him. And so he, he saw his need for a Savior, and now he's trying to help the Jews understand their need for a Savior. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but If you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? The physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's talk about circumcision. It's one of everybody's favorite subjects. Just kidding. Circumcision was given to the Jews, and it was a mark to set apart the Jews from others. Now, 
they were not the only culture who circumcised. The ancient Egyptians also circumcised boys, but it wasn't for spiritual reasons. And, and in fact, we know that there are people in the Old Testament who were circumcised, but were not a part of the covenant. For instance, if you remember, uh, Ishmael was circumcised in Genesis chapter 17. But we know Ishmael was not a child of the promise nor of the covenant. And Abraham had his whole household and all of his slaves, everybody who was in his household, including Ishmael, circumcised. But yet Ishmael was not a Jew. He was not a part of the covenant. He was not the, the promised one from God. So Paul, as he begins talking about circumcision, and he sees that the Jews boast in their circumcision, they, 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 they consider that to be the mark of a Jew, he, he says, it's only profitable if you keep the law. That makes sense, actually, quite a bit. Because for someone to get a tattoo that says that they're, I, I'm a Jew, well, that only really makes sense if you keep the law of God, that you're really a Jew. And I'll use the tattoo instead of circumcision. But you get the idea here. If you were to mark yourself as part of a group or part of a, 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 maybe in the military or something like that, but you never signed up, you never served, then you're a fake. We get that idea. So, I, well, I signed the papers but never went just so I could get the eagle globe and anchor on my, on my forearm, right? That way everybody thinks I'm a Marine. Well, I signed up, so therefore I'm a Marine. But you never went through boot camp. You, you never actually served. Uh, you never finished. That's the person who's earned the eagle globe and anchor, the one who's actually done it. Not, not the one who says they've done it or identifies as such, right? It's the person who actually keeps the law that is really a Jew. That's the one whose circumcision has any profit to because that's what the law required. Notice he says, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Now, as Paul asked these rhetorical questions in his letter, trying to help the Jew, the religious man, understand, they've got to start thinking here, wait a minute, never even thought about that. The uncircumcised person who keeps the law of God, who actually is a better Jew than I am, yet they're uncircumcised? Well, gee, I wonder how God does look at that. And, and the Jew can't say, well, I'm, I'm circumcised, yet I don't have to keep the law. Because they, knew, they know that if they forfeit the law, there's a penalty for forfeiting the law of God. So they do their best. But their best just isn't good enough. So in verse 27, he says, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and, and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Ouch. Wait a minute. These Gentiles? Now the Jews had some very strong opinions about the Gentiles. They wouldn't dip into a bowl with the Gentile because they didn't want Gentile cooties in them. They, they wouldn't do a lot of things with Gentiles. They would avoid them. They, they would stay away from them. In fact, if you remember, it took a lot of pushing for Peter, the apostle, to go into the home of a Gentile. 
God had to give him a vision from heaven, showing him this sheet that descended down with all these unclean animals on it and said, kill and eat. And what did Peter say? Not so, Lord. Not me. I'm not going to do that. Wait a minute. Are are you just telling God no? Peter's good about that, right? But, but as God reveals to Peter what God has made clean, it, it can't make you unclean. Then he gets a knock at the door with an invitation to come to a Gentile's house in Acts. And there he goes. There he goes to meet the Gentile Cornelius and his whole household. And they become saved. And then Peter marvels at what happens next. As they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the Spirit of God descends on them. See, Peter wasn't even ready to be baptizing them. He was like, okay, I kind of, I'm in this house, not sure what to do now. And then the Spirit of God comes upon them, and Peter says, well, what's stopping them from being baptized now? We've got to do it. And then even when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he shares about what happened, we see Peter actually trying to defend his actions to the Jews because they weren't ready for the Gentiles to receive. Man. Now as Paul, as Paul shares that, hey, if these guys are keeping the law and you're not, aren't they going to be a testimony against you? Aren't they going to be the ones who judge you? Oh, that's terrible. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose parts is not from men, but from God. You see, it's inside that really matters. And now, as Paul continues this argument, we've talked about the immoral. We've talked about the moral. Now we're talking about the religious. And as he shared about these three groups of people, he starts saying that it's an issue of the heart. That God is not only going to judge actions but also attitudes. At this point in the text, those of you who want to know God would be crying out for God because you understand what's happening here. Go back to verse 16 of chapter 2 real quick. And in verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul writes, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul writes that that, that there is a day coming when God will judge the secrets of men. Now secrets aren't really secrets that are done outward. But attitudes, attitudes are secrets. They're the ones that we keep very much inside. And Paul is saying that the secrets of men will all be judged on that day. You see, Revelation chapter 20 tells us that, there, that John, as he's watching what's happening, he says, then I saw a great white throne. Wow. And he saw the, the sea give up great and small. The dead all appeared before God, great and small, each and every one. The great being the powerful, the strong, the small being the poor and the weak, every single one. It didn't matter what class you were from, uh, but it says that books were open and God judged according to each and every deed of man. But 
It was only those who were found in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, that were not thrown into the burning lake of sulfur in this great judgment of God, which is coming eventually. And, and by the way, as John sees that throne, that great white throne, it says, earth and sky fled from his presence. Now think about that for a moment. Earth and sky fleeing from his presence. Yes, Peter speaks about a time coming when, when the current earth that is here will be burned up and will be no more and God will create a new heavens and a new earth. We, we know that's coming and very much so that that's, this is a part of that process. But think about this for a minute, minute. If earth and sky flee away, where do you live? You live on the earth. And what do you live under? You live under the sky. And where can you go hide if earth and sky flee away from you? Not a single place when you stand before that great white throne judgment. But praise be to God for Jesus Christ who died for us that we not, might not be judged at that judgment. And so Paul, as he continues on here, he speaks about being a Jew inwardly, that it has to be inward. See, it's not about the label on the bottle that matters. It's actually about what's in the bottle. For fun, I actually put sulfuric acid in this bottle. We were cleaning out a house in Houston after Hurricane Harvey, and I'm cleaning out this garage, you know, it all flooded, and the guy's like, oh, careful, I've got sulfuric acid in there. I'm like, why? But anyway, I'm just cleaning and sure enough, I find this bladder full of sulfuric acid. I'm like, oh, I found your acid. And then he's like, oh, there's more. And we kept finding more, these bags of acid. Who needs this much acid around their garage? I don't understand. But anyway. But see, that's what matters. And that's the difference between life and death is you can have a bottle that's got a wrapper that says water. And we know that water gives life. The water is important. We can only go three days without water. And then we're dead. Your body starts shutting down pretty quickly with dehydration. And, and one could pick up this bottle and think, that's going to be refreshing. But it will be quick death. Because inwardly, it's just full of death. That's all this bottle is full of. Death. It's not full of life. And so for the Jew who says, I live under, the, I, I, I've received the law. God has revealed himself to me. I am a Jew. I'm religious. I, I, I'm, I'm the best of the best, according to God's word. I'm circumcised, everyone, just so you know. Right? As the Jew proclaims that. Paul's saying, what does it matter if it's only outward? If there's just death resting inside. What does it matter? So Paul says that in the spirit, uh, <clears throat> circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. All the outward may earn us a lot of praise from men. Men may, may go, wow, look at that guy. He is holy. <laughs> he looks great. <laughs> look at all the good works they're doing. That guy is amazing. 
boy, that person, they go out of their way to be religious. Look at how many times a day they pray or they fast or whatever it is they do. But inward, they're death. Because they're relying on their own works. They're relying on themselves and their own religion to save them. And the fact of the matter is, it's never going to be good enough, your own religion. As I've stated before, the Book of Mormon, uh, toward the end of the book, it says, by grace after all you can do. And I'll tell you this much, grace after all you can do is no grace at all. Because how do you know what you can do is good enough? That it was all that you could do. How do you know that? See, when we start to look at the law and we start asking ourselves, have I ever worshipped an idol? Have I ever loved anyone other than the Lord God? Have I ever, have I ever lied <laughs> or, or bared false witness? Have I ever committed adultery? Have I ever murdered? And when we start thinking about have I ever stolen and all these things as we go through the law, have I dishonored my mother and father? And by the way, I'm sure we got you on that one for sure. Knowing kids, maybe you just stayed in a room your whole life. I don't know. But, but when we start looking at the law and then when we see the requirement of the law actually starts in the attitude of the heart, as Jesus said, uh, you've heard that it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you anyone who says in his heart, raka, or you fool, is guilty of that. You never wanted to murder anyone on the freeway? (laughs) Or or someone who's hurt you, right? Uh, I think we're all guilty of breaking the law. And that's the problem. Inside, we're full of death. But, God has a wonderful plan. Now, God's judgment, Romans 2, verse 2, is according to truth. And God's judgment is according to your accumulated guilt, Romans 2, 5. God's judgment is according to your works, Romans 2, 6. God's judgment is without partiality, Romans 2, 11. God's judgment is according to performance, not knowledge, Romans 2, 13. That's terrible, Don't I wish God would just give me a quiz on what I know about the law (laughs) versus what I do. God's judgment reaches the secrets of the heart, Romans 2.16. God's judgment is according to reality, not religious profession, Romans 2.17-29. So you may say, well, I know God. I, I don't break the law. Yet, we know that God said, go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And I am with you always to the end of the age. So we, when we consider this, we have to ask ourselves, have I fulfilled God's law perfectly? Do I go therefore to all the nations? Proclaiming the gospel? See, you haven't entered into a gospel of works, but a gospel of faith in Christ. And praise God for that, because from the moment that you met Jesus Christ, you started failing. But praise God, because of he's paid the price for you. And so your position in front of God is that of one in Christ, that you've been forgiven. You've already been covered. 
that God has removed your sin and you are perfect before him, even though you don't always feel perfect. But this also answers all the question. These three people groups answers the question that always gets asked. You know all the ridiculous questions that people ask about God? Can God make a burrito so hot he can't eat it? Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? You know what I'm talking about. These ridiculous questions that are always just excuses to avoid the truth. And they don't even make logical sense. But, but there is one question that I, that I think is somewhat burdensome to many What about the person in the hut in Africa that's never heard the gospel? Would God judge that innocent person? They've never heard after all. Well, Romans 1, 2, and part of 3 basically tells us that that person in Africa in the hut that's never heard the gospel isn't so innocent. And they're also going to be judged by what they know. On, on what God has revealed to that individual, they'll be judged. So there is no innocent in this, and certainly we ourselves aren't innocent. So when we consider these things, we should be primed and ready to throw ourselves upon the cross, to throw ourselves to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I need the forgiveness that you provided for, provided for us on that cross. I don't want to go to judgment. I want to be saved and come uh, pass from death into life. That really should be where we come to a result of. Now, so as we, we finish Romans chapter 2 here this evening, we have to understand what Paul is arguing. Now, next week, as we begin 3, we're going to see that, that uh, Paul's going to continue this argument. We've kind of run out of time tonight. But Paul is going to continue this argument into three about the Jew. I want to point out uh, uh, a couple verses here to you. Look at verse 10, as it is written of chapter three, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is a thorough (laughs) undoing of each and every man and woman. That's what that is. God just says, here's the result of who you are without Christ. Turn with me real fast to Romans 6, verse 23. Romans 6, verse 23, as we close tonight. Because we can't leave you here. We can't leave you telling you that you're just full of death. So we want to end on something really wonderful. Because this is where Paul is headed. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we're headed. That's where Romans is all headed. So don't think that Paul wrote a letter just to beat you up. No, Paul wrote a letter so that you might be educated about your sinful state. That you might understand, man, here I am in this lifeboat floating with Mr. Immoral, Mr. Moral, and me, Mr. Religious. But the fact is, is as we're in this lifeboat, and it sprung a hole, and we've got to swim miles to land... 
Mr. Immoral jumps out of the boat and begins to swim and, oh, cramp, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's done for. So Mr. Morrow gives it a, a go, and he begins to swim, and he makes it maybe a mile. Wow, that was pretty good, Mr. Morrow. But he's dead too. He drowned. Now Mr. Religious. He's got the last stint to go. Only 50 miles to go. Think he'll make it? He's been training. Not a chance. Not in his own effort. He needs Jesus Christ. And so do you if you haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ. You need him too. You need to be forgiven of your sin because the work is impossible for you because you are dead in your sins and your transgressions. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And we pray, dear God, that you would just bless your people. We thank you, Lord, that you died for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to have communion with you and fellowship with you. And if you're in this room this evening and you haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you haven't received him as your Savior, or you've even just walked away, you've been living for yourself, you confess that now to the Lord Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I repent of my sin. I'm ready to follow you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. May God bless you, may he keep you, and may you follow after him with all your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. Amen.